Bishop Earl and I discuss part two of the CES letter next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? This is part two of our discussion of the CES letter written by Jeremy Runnels, a faithful, loyal, lifelong LDS man who had questions. Questions that never got answered by those who should have answered him. So he researched to find the answers for himself, yes. which we have done. <laughs> you can find the results of his research at the link on the screen, and you will find his results extremely interesting. CESletter.org. You can also download the letter onto your device and even purchase a book, the book of the letter, yeah. from that website. In part one, we discussed some of his questions and findings on the Book of Abraham. And then Earl began his discussion of the Book of Mormon. And he, ender, he ended part one at number six mm -hmm. of his concerns. And again, Earl, thank you so much for bringing this information to our discussion. So you need to start with, what, number, number seven? seven? Well, these are, this is uh, Jeremy's number seven point. Right, right. It has to do with geography. And I might say that one thing, and I think we've mentioned it maybe, but either... T yeah, last time, but uh, Jeremy was expecting an answer mm -hmm. from a friend, or I think it was his grandfather's friend who was a CES director, and he was expecting an answer to all these questions, mm -hmm. and no answer no ever answer came. came. Yeah. So this geography, uh, is, his question was, many Book of Mormon places are strikingly similar to many local names and places of the region where Joseph Smith lived, and we put a chart up. I, I hope it's large enough to read a little bit. I won't read every one of them, but it's so curious that things like Alma are repeated in modern geography around his area in the Book of Mormon. And Jeremy might even have a map uh, of, of some of these places. Yeah, and, and this chart can be found on the webpage. Absolutely, in cesletter.org. Uh, right. But Jacobsburg with Jacob Gath and Kishkumen and Lehi and Manti, Mantua, Oneida, Rama. Shiloh, of course, is a familiar name, but uh, one of the interesting things, and I ran across this too, is in the 1830 Book of Mormon, in chapter 6 of Mormon, he uses the name Camorra to describe the hill Camorra, and it was later changed to Camorra. Well, it's interesting that there's an island off East Africa by Madagascar, and its name mm -hmm. is Camorra. It is now called Comoros. And curiously, the largest city and capital of Comoros <laughs> is Moroni. I remember Strange the first that. time I found that out, I just, and I went into my atlas and I looked I did, it up, I and did there the it same was. Thing. <laughs> I did the same thing. I did the same thing. This can't be true. Oh. Well, the thing is, is Joseph Smith, and the, uh, there's a Pomeroy Tucker who was born in 1802, but he wrote this about 1867, and he indicated that he acknowledged that Joseph Smith was familiar with Captain Kidd. William Key, mm -hmm. the pirate and mm -hmm. treasure The story hunter, of it, yeah. And all those stories. And, and he says, uh, Captain Kidd and the like, others with Spanish treasure and all that, presented the highest charms for Joseph Smith and his expanding mental perception. Yeah. So and it was I, like I he was excited he was... about these prospects. And we know he treasure hunted and mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also interesting, and this kind of, this stuff blew me away. There are actually three books that influenced the Book of Mormon, at least I think they did. The first one is called The View of the Hebrews, which many have heard about. It, the first edition was in 1823. It was written by Reverend Ethan Smith, who just happened to be 
Oliver Cowdery's pastor oh. in Pulteney, Vermont. Oliver Cowdery was a member of his congregation. Now it's not word for word, but the similarities, any Mormon would, would understand would these. Find it very and here are some of the common commonalities between the two. The destruction of Israel, scattering of I'm sorry, destruction of Jerusalem, scattering of Israel, Hebrews coming to the New World, religion a motivating factor, they encounter seas and many uh, waters, America is uninhabited, Egyptian hieroglyphics, breastplate, Urim and Thummim, man warning people from a wall, and quotes of uh, chapters of Isaiah. It's just interesting that, uh, you know, again, just how we're not sure how the Book of Mormon came together, but... But we know there was influence. a lot of plagiarism from the King James Bibles well, and so too. many other right. uh, so many other similarities from other books. Yeah. You know, if he would plagiarize from the Bible, why not these other books yeah, too? Yeah, whole chapters of Isaiah, and mm -hmm. as we've said, including the italicized words. Yeah. Well, the, thir the second uh, letter, I'm sorry, second book is called The Late War Between the United States and Great Britain. And it's an 1819 textbook for New York school children, and it depicts the events of the War of 1812 with England. And I'm just going to read the very first verse. Now it came to pass in the 1812th year of the Christian era, and in the 36th and sixth year after the people of the provinces of Columbia had declared themselves a free and independent nation, I mean, it just sounds so Book of Mormon. It is, uh, yes. It has, that, again, that uh, biblical language to it. Mm -hmm. And these are some of the common words found in late war. Curious workmanship, stripling soldier, band of 2,000 chosen men, objects that were made of brass and iron and were cunningly contrived with curious works, like unto a clock, and as it were a large ball. That three Indian like prophets, yeah, three Nephites. Wars between the wicked and righteous, worthiness of Christopher Columbus, earthquakes followed by great darkness, elephants in America, and uh, it came to pass, used extensively. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so I don't know how many have heard of that book, but the third book is the first book of Napoleon. It was also, it was also published in 1809. It's not clear that Joseph Smith ever had access to it, but it was available. It was out there. We know he probably frequented the library mm -hmm. if it was in there. Absolutely, he had know. access to it, that's right. Yeah, so just a couple, I'm not going to read all these four, four verses, just the first couple. And it came to pass in these latter days that an evil spirit arose on the face of the earth and greatly troubled the sons of men. And this spirit seized upon and spread amongst the people who dwell in the land of Gaul. And again, you can go to the CES letter and read entire uh, what Jeremy has written in there. And it's just... It's just fascinating that there would be these three books out there that would be so similar, oh, and Joseph so Smith similar. would have had access to them. Okay, the next point, number 11, is the Book of Mormon taught and still teaches a Trinitarian view of the Godhead. And, you know, I think the Book of Mormon actually, to, for most Christians that would be reading it in, the, in 1830, they would think this is a pretty Christian book. Could have been given to us from God. The introduction of the Book of Mormon, written by Mormon, says to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. Mm -hmm. that's, and it's still there. That's Trinitarian. That's exactly. That's yes. what it says. The 1830 Book of Mormon, 1 Nephi 1132, actually says, And I looked and beheld the Lamb of God, that he was taken by the people, yea, the everlasting God was judged of the world. And the current Book of Mormon, that's been changed to what I've underlined there, the Son of the Everlasting God. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, there are actually three or four other changes to that. I so think they changed from the Trinitarian view to the to current the, Mormon to view. To the Mormon rather. view. And I think probably Joseph Smith got tired of going through the Book of Mormon and having to make changes. <laughs> you know, he said, well, that's not exactly what I believe now. And in Ether 3, 14, 15, and this is the way it reads right now, Behold, I am he who was prepared from the foundation of the world to redeem my people. Behold, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Father and the Son. In me shall all mankind have life. Okay. Not saying that it's the same purpose or anything like that. Right, right. And that's not exactly Trinitarian as the Bible teaches, but it's no. closer to it than, yeah. than the way the LDS believe now yeah, and course. the polygamists believe. Yeah. So, let's see, we have, uh, okay, the, now the, the, la the next one is the Book of Mormon translation and how it was translated. Uh, we actually have pictures here uh, that's in the CES letter, but it shows on the left there the normal traditional way that we think of Joseph Smith looking at the gold plates. Mm -hmm. And on the right, we see his head in the hat, which is... Which is the realistic. <laughs> more realistic. <laughs> So the Gospel Topic Essay, we've referred to these several times, but you should read these. The Book of Mormon translation states, As a young man during the 1820s, Joseph Smith, again, listen to this attorney typewriting. As a young man during the 1820s, Joseph Smith, like others in his day, used a seer stone to look for lost objects and buried treasure. That excuses him, I guess. I guess. As Joseph grew to understand his prophetic calling, he learned that he could use this stone for the highest purpose of translating scripture. Hmm. Apparently for convenience, Joseph often translated with a single seer stone rather than the two stones. Well, I don't know how many of you know about the address that uh, address to the all believers in Christ that David Whitmer, one of the witnesses to the Book of Mormon plates, so to speak, um, gave, but professors Joseph Fielding McConkie and Craig Osler in, in the year 2000 dismissed the head in the hat concept told by David Whitmer in his address where he wrote, David Whitmer, Joseph Smith put the seer stone into, his hat, into a hat and put his face in the hat drawing it closely around his face to exclude the light. Well these professors said this, the testimony of David Whitmer simply does not accord with the divine pattern. If Joseph Smith translated everything that is now in the Book of Mormon without using the gold plates, we're left to wonder why the plates were necessary in the first place. Good question. Is this, we would ask, really a credible explanation of the way the heavens operate? And now they're saying it is credible. Well, we just read that they admitted it. So, Jeremy asked this final question. Yeah, so now the church has admitted that yes, he did use a head in the hat, and of course that came out, and others have seen the seer stone. It's actually um, been mm -hmm. out there to mm -hmm. see. Anyway, Jeremy's final conclusion, concluding comment was, how could it have been expected of me and any other member to know about and to embrace the rock in the hat translation when even these two faithful full-time professors of religion at BYU rejected it as a fictitious lie meant to undermine Joseph Smith and the truth claims of the restoration. And so that's what they do. They just, and they make us feel foolish by bringing out the truth. And then when they can't hide the truth anymore, they yeah. come out admitting that it was all true yeah. and, and then making all these divine excuses of why well, I he was, would have done that. I was excommunicated because I, I actually went on TV, but I was explaining how the Book of Mormon had been changed the Trinitarian view or whatever we want to call that 
but that the Book of Mormon had been changed, the doctrine of nature of God, and uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure there were a couple of other things, but uh, the Book of Abraham was one of them. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I was excommunicated over that. I don't know what they would do with me now. Thou shalt not question. Probably still excommunicate me. Now about the seer stone, about about the same time that we were preparing this, uh, this information for the show, uh, I read a quote from an LDS conversational website from, by LDS people, mm -hmm. and I thought it was interesting because one of them said, the Book of Mormon, as the keystone, you know it's called the keystone of their faith, right. as the keystone of our religion is different and more interesting if you read keystone as being a type of seer stone <laughs> instead of just a place, you know, an important place in With a building. Yeah, it's the, supposed to be the center piece of the, an arch. Right, the, the, the keystone. keystone and, and he says, so we read so it as a... So they were reading it as a... So they're redefining what keystone means. Because it is the keystone of their religion if it's just a rock. Oh my goodness. So they're just trying to change their, their yeah. thinking of what it is. And of course, they do rede redefine so much. <laughs> uh, now, these are only a handful <laughs> yeah. of concerns about the Book of Mormon and trans, its translation that, uh, that Jeremy mentions. And after he's doing his own research, he concluded that the Book of Mormon is not <laughs> what the Mormon Church does and has historically claimed it to be. That's right. And it certainly is not and never was the most correct book on the earth. It's already undergone what? almost 4,000 changes and edits. That's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> now you can go to the cesletter.org and discover all this information and more at that website, all of it verified with valid references. Now, of course, we cannot ignore the concern that he had about polygamy and polyandry. Polygamy is when a spouse has multiple spouses at the same time, and polyandry is when a man marries another man's wife, and Joseph Smith did both. <laughs> And this troubles many, many people. In fact, if you're not troubled by it, the fact that you're not troubled should trouble you. But we want to quote from the <laughs> CES letter. One of the things that also truly disturbed me in my research was discovering the real origins of polygamy and how Joseph Smith really practiced it. Joseph Smith was married to at least 34 women, as now verified in the church's 2014 polygamy essays. Polyandry, of those 34 women, 11, 11 of them were married women of other living men, among them being Apostle Orson Hyde, who was sent on a mission to dedicate Palestine, while Joseph secretly married his wife, Marinda Hyde. Church historian Elder Marlon K. Jensen and unofficial apologists like Fair Mormon do not dispute the polyandry. Well, they can't hardly dispute no. it, really, but no. although stating these facts, like we said, used to be called anti-Mormon lies <laughs> and propaganda, the Elders Church is now admitting that they're true. But it was of deep concern to the author of the letter, and so was Joseph Smith's pedophile activities of deep concern. He married two girls at the age of 14. In fact, 11 of his wives were teenagers. One-third of his plural wives were in their teens, and Joseph Smith was in his late 30s. Another one-third of his wives were married women living with legal husbands. So two-thirds of his plural wives were at odds with Section 132. Oh, yeah. Making it difficult, of course, even for faithful Mormons to deal with, or at least it should. He writes about another troubling facet of Smith's polygamy. We quote, 
Among the women and girls was a mother-daughter set and three sister sets. Several of these girls included Joseph's own foster daughters who lived and worked in the Smith home. This is the Lawrence sisters, the Partridge sisters, and Lucy Walker. Okay, by the way, Leviticus 18 completely prohibits this kind of behavior. That's and we've right. talked about this several times before. Yeah. Now, he writes that many folks, many people saw this behavior as dynastic eternal ceilings only. But then ask a good question. Why would he need to be sealed to a mother and her daughter if his marriages were merely dynastic? You see, in Mormonism, maybe for people who don't understand the sealings in Mormonism, the mother would already be sealed to her daughter. To her daughter, sure. <laughs> and so she would be part of Joseph Smith's afterlife family already. So Smith marrying both mother and daughter would not have been dynastic. The mother was just another bride for Smith's earthly and Eternal. heavenly harem. Yep. And journals and historical publications indicate that Smith did have sex with many, if not most, of his plural wives. After all, he did marry them for time and eternity. There is another, here's another reason to doubt uh, these marriages were merely dynastic. Joseph died without being sealed to his children or to his parents. If a primary motive of these sealings was to be connected in the afterlife, as claimed by the church and the apologists, what does it say about Joseph's priorities and motives to be sealed to a non-related and already married woman, Patty Sessions, and her 23-year-old already married daughter, Sylvia Sessions, than it was to be sealed to his own parents and to his own children? A lot of Mormons don't realize that he wasn't sealed to Emma the fir at first. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Dynastic, of course, when we use the word dynastic in this uh, sense, is when Mormon men begin building their eternal kingdom population while they are still here on the earth. And they do that by having many wives and yeah. huge families. Another reason to doubt Joseph Smith's plural marriages were dynastic is that he was married or sealed to at least 22 other women and girls before he was sealed to his legal wife, Emma. Why? <laughs> Why? The CES letter states that when he gets into some of the details of Joseph Smith's polygamy, he is entering into Warren Jeff's territory. And that should make the LDS people bristle because they absolutely yeah. deny any connection. Yeah. And now, of course, myself, having come from a Mormon fundamentalist, <laughs> fundamentalist teachings and, and background, I can vouch for the truth of that statement. The LDS oh. don't like to hear it, but there is much of early Mormon polygamy that is copied by today's polygamists. Hmm. He writes about the contradiction that Book of Mormon permits polygamy only to multiply and <laughs> replenish the earth, right. raise up righteous seed, Jacob 2.30, I think it is. Yet the only prerequisite that is mentioned in section 132, the polygamy revelation, is that the man must desire another <laughs> wife. And you can read in verse 61 of section 132, if any man espouse a virgin and desire to espouse another. So if the desire is there, he gets to do it. How lucky. How lucky can <laughs> you be? Uh, in fact, read verses 61 and 62. His plural wives must be virgins, yet Smith married 11 already married non-virgin women. Oops. Ooh. <laughs> Nor does section 132 say that the man must get a specific revelation from the living prophet, which many LDS members believe that's how it was lived in those early days. 
Um, but that's not true. Absolutely isn't true. Go to the website on the screen, cesletter.org, polygamy, and read the entire text. Find out the reasons that he doubted and, and questions that he had and, and points of intense interest and contradictions that he yeah. discovered. And we may add <clears throat> that it is absolutely impossible that God could have or did command the sexual behavior of the early Mormons and or of polygamists today. He established and blessed monogamy only. Our next uh, topic is from a minor list in the final section listed as other. His first subtopic is entitled Church's Dishonesty, Censorship, and Whitewashing Over Its History. They would never do uh, that, uh, No, (laughs) not him, not them. And he was concerned about it, though, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, And he was concerned, as we mentioned, the rock and the hat translation, the polyandry and the polygamy, the multiple and contradictory first vision accounts, which, very interesting, you should read. We're not covering them here, but you can go there and read about it. One of them concerns the priesthood and the blacks, we quote. 2013 official declaration, second header, update dishonesty offending text. Early in its history, church leaders stopped conferring the priesthood on black males of African descent. Church records offer no clear insights into the origins of this practice. Oh, okay. Church (laughs) records. Well, I've read some church records that did offer a lot of insight into it. He, uh, <clears throat> the author rightfully calls them uh, on their dishonesty about the origins of the race, uh, origins of their race's history. Just after the last quote, uh, the author presents an update which explains that the LDS Church released a race and the priesthood essay, mm. which contradicts the official declaration which we just quoted. In their official essay, they point to Brigham Young as having originated the racist ban. So first they say they don't know where it came from. Then the essay says Brigham Young did it. By the way, Joseph Smith had several of his own comments about the race. But the fact that they refused to admit they had a problem with it clearly shows they still have a problem with it. It bothers the author of this letter, and of course it bothers thousands of other people as well. The CES letter compares LDS denial of the source of their racist doctrine with an affirmation of their racism, which was made in 1949 by the first presidency, and that makes their racism absolutely official. We quote. August 17th of 1949. The attitude of the church with reference to Negroes remains as it has always stood. It is not a matter of the declaration of a policy, but of direct commandment from the Lord on which is founded the doctrine of the church from the days of its organization to the effect that Negroes may become members of the church, but that they are not entitled to the priesthood at the present time. Commanded from the Lord. That's right there from the horse's mouth. That's what they said. Uh, And so they do know the origin of it. They do know it. And, of course, that's only a partial quote. You can go to the the website and read the entire statement. It's, It's actually very appalling. The beauty of the Bible compared with the destructive prejudice of Mormon scriptures is seen in God's many state many times when he stated that he shows no favoritism. And since God doesn't change, he has never, ever been a racist. In fact, Acts 17, 26 says that God made all of us from one race, one blood. 
Mm. So uh, the changeable and the tyrannical and racist, misogynistic Mormon God is the one that I ran away from when I escaped the polygamy group. I didn't like their God. And I praise the true and living God because I found him before it was too late. And he is nothing like the God Mormonism presents. And I just pray that those who escape both uh, polygamy and the LDS religious organizations, that they will seek the true and living God and not forsake for searching for the truth. Because the truth is so beautiful and free and freeing and gracious. Sadly, other people will get away from Mormonism, and most of them will just end up rejecting anything and everything. So sad. That hints at religion. It, yeah. religion. it is sad. Uh, Jesus said in John twelve forty seven that he came into the world to save it. And more than anything, I needed saved from the false god of Mormonism, from my sins, and from the condemnation and guilt that Mormonism heaps upon its people. And Jesus did save me from all that and more, and you as well. Sure did. Now, the next point of contention the CES letter writes uh, <coughs> about is the whitewashing <laughs> and the hiding of information about Zena Huntington. <laughs> we quote, Zena's whitewashed biographical page on LDS.org. In the marriage and family section, it does not list Joseph Smith as a husband or concurrent husband with Henry Jacobs. In the marriage and family section, it does not list Brigham Young as a concurrent husband with Henry Jacobs. There is nothing in there about the polyandry. It is deceptive in stating that Henry and Zena did not remain together while admitting that Henry separated only after Brigham Young took his wife and told Henry that Zena was now only was now only his Brigham's wife. And that's in Family Search clearly shows all of Zena's husbands, including her marriage to Joseph Smith. And this is a really despicable uh, story, of story. Early, in early Mormonism and polygamy and marriage and all of that. Yeah. Deleting Zena's history is really deceptive. She was the third Relief Society president, and they hold her up as as a high position of inspiration and was an example for everyone Mm -hmm. during her life. An example, but not a very good one. They left out the fact that Zena was a married woman seven months pregnant with Henry's child when Joseph Smith took her as a plural wife. And after Smith was killed, Brigham Young took Zena as a plural wife. She was still married to Henry, and Henry loved her and wanted her back. He was heartbroken. He wanted his wife. But Brigham sent Henry away and told him that Zena belonged to him, and Henry had to find another wife for his own. And in all this, Zena and Henry remained legally married until the day of their death. But the LDS Church, keeping their history as whitewashed as they can, regularly practice the cancel culture. Yeah, that's a good word. And they they don't reveal the foundation of their religion, which is sex, power, and deception. The Mormon Topic Essays can be found on the link on the screen, mormonessays.com, and the CES Letter can be found on the link, read.cesletter.org. Don't be like the uninformed who claim they just know it's true, so they don't need to check it out. (laughs) Your eternity is your responsibility. Find out the truth about it. In his concluding remarks, we quote Joseph Fielding Smith. Yeah, they love to do this. Mormonism, as it is called, must stand or fall on the story of Joseph Smith. He was either a prophet of God, divinely called, properly appointed and commissioned, 
or he was one of the biggest frauds this world has ever seen. There is no middle ground. If Joseph was a deceiver who willfully attempted to mislead people, then he should be exposed. His claims should be refuted and his doctrines shown to be false, which they have been. And they have been. The CES letter has done that. Many other places, of course, yeah. on the net, internet. This, sh this show uh, does that. Uh, many times over, Joseph Smith has been exposed. Yeah. And, and his claims, yeah, yeah, and his claims refuted, and his doctrine shown to be contradictory and false. There is no middle ground. Someone once said, don't sit on the fence because Satan owns the fence. Yet so many people are trapped in this false religion. They show that Joseph Smith, uh, that, uh, that he did make false claims, and they also show that what Joseph Smith said is more important to them than Jesus Christ and what he said. Yeah. So often, yeah, they just won't. Yep. They won't study. They won't study it. <laughs> Thanks, Earl. Yeah. Thanks again. Fascinating. In the Book of Kings, we read about a prophet of God who disobeyed God's instructions and listened to someone else instead. And on his way home, a lion attacked and killed the disobedient prophet. In Deuteronomy, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, several times over, we read warnings against false prophets, those who teach the people from their own imaginings, from their own dreams. They say God said when God didn't say. The people who follow Joseph Smith as a prophet really need to check him out. A true prophet of God does not do and say the things Joseph Smith is guilty of. The only prophet we need is Jesus Christ. He is everything. He is the truth. He told the truth. He is the only way to God, and He is all we need to get to God. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.